Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Can't you issue an executive order? Trump passed those out like Halloween candy. Yes, sir. It, well, it, I isn't that something that could happen? Well, I, I, I have issued executive orders within the power of the presidency to be able to deal with these, everything having to do with guns, gun ownership, whether or not you have to have a waiting, all, all the things that are within my power. But what I don't want to do, and I'm not being facetious, I don't want to emulate Trump's abuse of the Constitution and constitutional authority. And... And so, and I mean that sincerely, because I often get asked, look, the Republicans don't play it square. Why do you play it square? Yeah. Well, well, guess what? If we do the same thing they do, our democracy will literally be in jeopardy. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not a joke. President Biden sitting down with Jimmy Kimmel last night. We're following the latest in the debate over new gun safety legislation after the House passes a bill that will likely go nowhere in the Senate. Why? We'll tell you where the negotiations stand and play for you the extremely emotional testimony from survivors and the families of victims of the recent mass shootings. Plus, the January 6th investigation goes prime time as the first public hearings into the Capitol attack kick off this evening. Good morning and welcome to Morning Joe. It is Thursday, June 9th. Along with Joe, Willie and me, we have MSNBC contributor Mike Barnacle, White House Bureau Chief at Politico and the host of Way Too Early, Jonathan Lemire. But we'll dive right into the first public hearing of the House investigation into the January 6th Capitol attack, which kicks off tonight in primetime. And aid tells NBC News the committee will present evidence never seen before that shows former President Donald Trump at the center of a coordinated effort to overturn the 2020 election. The aide says tonight's testimony will serve as sort of an opening statement and that the information we hear could go beyond the testimony we hear from live witnesses. As we've reported, this evening's witnesses include a filmmaker who was embedded with the far-right group, the Proud Boys, and a Capitol Police officer who was injured in the attack. The New York Times reports the committee will also play video excerpts of the testimony from Jared Kushner, and Ivanka Trump given behind closed doors, although it's unclear if those interviews will be featured tonight. So a big start tonight in prime time. Right. Probably strategy for a reason to place it where most Americans can see it. Yeah, I, I think so. Willie, of course, this is going to be fascinating because we will uh, see new evidence, new testimony we haven't seen before. What's most fascinating to me, at least, it is I, I, I want I want the testimony from not from Trump's opponents, not from people who have been against Donald Trump his entire life. The people who are on the inside, the people who worked for him, the people who stayed with him, despite the fact uh, that they had grave concerns from time to time. The people who were with him on January the 6th and reported to, well, just the heinous things that that he did. We've gotten a little snippet here or there about how. 
He would run in while the Capitol was being besieged. He would he would actually run in and he would watch on TV uh, in the dining room off the Oval Office. Uh, and he would rewind to find the most violent parts and he would replay them over and over again. We've had Republican senators say that he was giddy watching the violence. We're going to actually do what lawyers when when they start deposing people and they send out interrogatories and they start piecing records together. We're going to get a clear TikTok of events. And I do think the evidence is going to be fairly overwhelming that not only did Donald Trump want the rioting to go on, that he was actively cheering for it and he did not want it to stop. Absolutely. And I think what's key here, this committee has signaled there will be, as you said, new evidence. We will hear from new witnesses. It's a story over the last year and a half. Americans feel like they know there's been so much documented video evidence of what happened. We've seen so much media reporting about this. We feel like we know the story. But what the committee is telling us is there is more to it. And it may draw, as you say, a direct line right into the White House. And Jonathan Lemire, you've been looking at this. You've written a book about the big lie that's coming out next month. Um, what do you believe the committee sees as its job tonight? We know it's not going to be broadcast, for example, on Fox News, an audience that may need to hear the truth about this. It'll be on their one of their other networks with many fewer viewers. But how do they reach the American public? What do they think they have to do tonight? And they know this is their best chance. The first night, the primetime hearing is the moment where they will likely have the largest share of the nation's attention than they will at any point during these hearings. An aide talked to reporters yesterday, an aide to the committee, said, address the point we just opened with. This is an event that we have seen so much about. It's been documented with hundreds upon hundreds of hours of video witness accounts, but they still feel like they have new things, something that's going to shake the American people a little bit here as they make their case, as they make their case as to what happened in the run up to that day, the lies told by Donald Trump and his allies, enabled by Republicans in Congress, enabled by the conservative media, and then, of course, his actions that day. And as a postscript, they aim to have something that just never can happen again. That's their central mission here. And tonight will be, will be stark. They'll be telling and likely powerful. Uh, we will hear from a documentary filmmaker who was embedded with the Proud Boys uh, that day and has new footage of those hate groups and what they did. But also we'll hear from a Capitol Police officer, the first Capitol Police officer who was injured that day, who suffered a traumatic brain injury, who could give a firsthand harrowing account of the anger and violence perpetrated by those people we're seeing here, these Trump supporters, who stormed the Capitol. This will go on for a number of hearings over a number of days, but they feel like tonight they have to have a big, important start, and they think they've got a compelling narrative to tell that might even change a few months. Yeah, this is the opening act, Jonathan. Uh, there's no doubt about it. What we're seeing right there is going to be part of a story that uh, most Americans are aware of. They're not aware of all the details. But, you know, you'd have to think that the key to what happens tonight and ongoing through these hearings is the ability to tell a story. Does this committee have the ability to tell a story? Americans love a story, but you need a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the two key components we would hope, people should hope that they show, that they tell us, is A, Donald Trump's participation in this. Did he really participate in egging on this crowd? How did he do it? And B, uh, you know, did he use his power then as president to affect the instruments of government? Did he use his own personal power as president of the United States to really break the law 
and extend his rule of, as president? Did he corrupt the system? And that's going to be a story that I think everybody should be interested in, Mika. And Mika and Joe, the usual cast of Republican suspects are already discrediting the committee, saying they're not going to be listening, they won't be paying attention, that it's a sham committee, that it didn't have enough Republicans on it, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is 1,000 depositions and interviews, 98 subpoenas, 136,000 pages of records uh, is what this committee has poured through. That is the evidence they have, and they'll distill it all beginning tonight in prime time. And again, the critical thing, so many of those records coming from inside the White House. Hey, Mr. President, the call's coming from inside the House. You have Kevin McCarthy. Remember, Kevin McCarthy, who unloaded Mm -hmm. his text messages. We found out about Don Jr. We found out about Sean Hannity. We found out about other people who were saying one thing publicly, but privately. They were panicked because they knew this was absolutely devastating. And what did they do? They were begging Donald Trump to stop this. Stop. Now, yep. why, why in the world were they calling Donald Trump instead of, oh, I don't know, uh, Mookie Betts? <laughs> well, because Mookie uh, Betts Mookie. couldn't stop. Mookie couldn't stop the riots. <sighs> That's in why fact, they calling the police? Kevin McCarthy couldn't stop the riots. Yeah. Why wouldn't they call the police and say stop? The-? They knew that Donald Trump, Donald Trump's children, Donald Trump's closest allies in the media, they knew that Donald Trump could stop this. And people on the inside were telling them, not only does he not want to stop this, he's actually encouraging it. He's sending emails when Mike Pence is in danger to try to rev the crowd up even more, to try to make these riots turn deadlier. And so we're going to see that. I I talked to somebody close to the committee who said that some of these depositions, Mika, took on almost a confessional tone. Mm. And for whatever reason, a lot of people out there say, well, they were probably just trying to cover their tracks because they didn't want to be associated with an insurrection, because who would? Uh, But there's some people genuinely shocked by how unpatriotic the person they were working for was. How, how, I don't know why they'd be shocked by that, but what, 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 just how he was a valueless void and that he was perfectly willing to watch the government go up and smoke, perfectly willing to watch Congress get trashed, for perfectly himself. willing to watch police officers get brutalized for himself. For himself to try and change the, the results of an try election, which is so election. undemocratic. But yeah. I think you've really zeroed in on one of the key points here, and that is why would these people all call Donald Trump? And it, it makes it very clear that Trump is the only one who could have stopped this. Joining us now, congressional investigations reporter for The Washington Post, Jackie Alamany. She's an MSNBC contributor and co-founder and CEO of Axios, Jim Vandehei. Jackie, what more can we expect tonight? And is the overall goal, if you could talk about that, to try and prompt the DOJ to bring charges against Trump, which many experts would say is a very lofty goal? Yeah, Mika, well, you are exactly right in that Trump is going to be the through line of all of these hearings. But tonight, as Jonathan very elegantly laid out, is going to be about the opening argument, laying out the evidence, uh, uh, what happened in the months before January 6th and then on January 6th, bringing the American public in, grounding them in that violence that happened on the day and giving them a reason to tune in for the rest of the month. Three hearings are already scheduled for next week, uh, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. But tonight, 
tonight's hearing is going to focus on the coordinated effort from far-right militias. We're going to see really gripping footage from Nick Custed, the documentary filmmaker who actually embedded with Enrique Tarrio, the leader of the Proud Boys, who just earlier this week was uh, indicted for seditious conspiracy. So there are people who are already being charged with very serious crimes right now um, who were coordinating with others who were in touch with Trump campaign officials in some way and now are facing serious criminal charges. Now, the legal significance of the hearings is still to be determined. Uh, we're not quite sure if that's going to be explicit throughout these hearings. I, it, you know, the committee's uh, mandate is more of an explanatory mandate. But I, I think that uh, regardless, we're going to see that legality come out in some sort of prosecutorial manner in the way the committee decides to lay out uh, the evidence. And at the end of the day, you've already had a, a federal judge, David Carter, say that some of these pieces of evidence that the committee has been seeking already show furtherance of a crime. Um, so uh, there are lots of moving parts that we're going to be watching closely, but tonight is going to be really starting with that overview. Jim Vandehei, you and I have seen quite a few high-profile hearings, investigations. When we were much younger, of course, uh, the investigation into Bill Clinton. Uh, I remember when when people had seen his testimony uh, it, it, before the grand jury, and we were all waiting to watch it. And 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 we we. Long story short, it, it seems usually these investigations undersell uh, what is promised. I'm curious if, what you're thinking going into this investigation, if, in fact, we may see that once again, as we saw with the two impeachments of Donald Trump uh, or whether. Time. I think we live in a much different world today than even those Clinton hearings and certainly than Watergate. You go back to Watergate, you had a public that largely trusted government. They took these congressional hearings on both sides more seriously. Uh, obviously, the Clinton stuff was was pretty polarizing in and of itself. But the, the threshold here is so high. I think it's why they've hired TV producers. Mm -hmm. It's why they're trying to keep it to 90 minutes. It's why there's been a steady stream of leaks. What they're trying to do is grab the public by the lapel and say this is a much, much bigger yeah. deal than you think it is, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And you'll hear Liz Cheney and others say it's a conspiracy that goes all the way to the top to Donald Trump to try to foment uh, this this revolution or this ransacking of, of the U.S. Capitol to try to overturn the election. That bar is really high. It's one thing to say something on social media, and they're very fixated on what Donald Trump was doing on social media that day, whether he was signaling to the Proud Boys and others to keep it up, to storm the Capitol, not just don't stop it, but act actively encourage it. To be able to prove that level of a conspiracy, that's what they would like to achieve. They seem to think they have a lot of evidence to be able to do it. They're going to juxtapose that, as you've heard earlier, with lots of depositions, lots of video testimony from people around the president, including Jared Kushner and others who are all at the time saying this is nonsensical. You lost the election. Let's stop it. Let's bring down the boil. All those people, McCartney, whether it's. Uh, people around him like Mike Pence, uh, his daughter Ivanka, they all say that they were telling him this, and yet he listened to a few people inside the White House and took it uh, this far. And so the big question is, will you be able to convince the American public that this was a conspiracy that started at the very top? Tim, while, while we have you here, I want to move from January 6th to the elections we just had a couple days ago. And the election that uh, it got the, the biggest attention was the one out in San Francisco 
uh, of the DA uh, who lost. Uh, and and the, you, we were talking about through lines. There certainly seems to be a through line from 2020 defund the police, a, a, a slogan that Republicans use, despite the fact every Democrat I got on this show were saying we don't want to defund the police, but it was defund the police. And of course, the, the post-election uh, polls and focus groups showed that worked. Uh, you, you, you saw uh, more Americans uh, concerned about crime, quality of life issues. Eric Adams, uh, the most conservative candidate, winning the Democratic primary, winning in Queens, winning in Brooklyn, winning in the Bronx, even winning Staten Island. He's going to be in our show in a little bit. Uh, and now we have uh, this, this election, uh, this reca- recall in California. In San Francisco, we have some of the most liberal cities in America uh, actually wanting to take a tough on crime approach or at least a tougher on crime approach uh, than some of the DAs that were elected uh, pre-pandemic. What's the impact? Do Democrats understand the great challenge before them going into the 2022 elections? I think they absolutely understand the challenge. And I think they're very worried when you look at San Francisco, because you have liberals in San Francisco saying that we've gotten too liberal and that we went way too far on defund the police, way too far and not being tougher on crime, uh, way too far and not being tougher on illegal uh, immigration. And that has allowed Republicans to take those topics and stack them on top of inflation and pay Democrats is out of touch. So when you're Nancy Pelosi, if she were here on True Serum, I think she would say, like, listen, Uh, AOC, the squad, the progressive wing of our party went way too far in their rhetoric, way too far in their policies, defined the Democratic Party in a way that makes it really hard for any Democrat outside of a super liberal bastion to be able to win an election. It's the reason Democrats assume that they're going to lose the House potentially by an historic uh, margin. It's possible Republicans could emerge from this campaign with the largest majority since 1928. And a lot of that is of the Democrats making. It's not like people love Republicans right now. They're watching these hearings. They think about the Trump years. It's not that they're enamored with Republican orthodoxy. It's that they're frustrated with the direction of the Democratic Party. And I think we're seeing that play out in these races. The, the last hope I think Democrats have, because I think most people do lock in their views in the summer, is to be able to say, look at the gun debate. Uh, look at the, the abortion ruling we expect to get in, in late June or uh, July. Uh, and look at the consequences of this election and see if they can't crank up enthusiasm among Democrats. But even in the polls, you don't see the same enthusiasm among Democrats that you see for Republicans. And that's why you have Democrats in sort of a state of panic in terms of what they think the outcome of this election could be. Jim, can I ask you one final question before we let you go? Because you brought up the southern border. It's something that uh, the media doesn't talk about that much. If you look at the numbers of illegal immigrant crossings over the past year or two, Mm-hmm. It just goes straight up. It spikes straight up. And I'm just curious. Uh, that obviously is a great concern to millions and millions of Americans. Democrats in Washington don't like to talk about it. Democrats on Twitter don't like to talk about it. So they just pretend it's not there and that it doesn't upset Americans. But crime these illegal uh, crossings at the border. I mean, it's not like Donald Trump who made up stuff. When he came in in 2016, illegal border crossings were at a 50-year low after eight years of Barack Obama and Joe Biden. This is real. The numbers keep spiking. More people keep coming. Joe Biden wants to get rid of a rule that provides some relief for border agents. Um, but why, why is the White House so completely lost on this issue? 
I think I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, that there's a wing of the party that, you know, remember, go back a year or two, there was talk of, like, should we be uh, pushing open borders and, and, and even uh, have a more lax border policy? And so they, they feel like they're caught in a vice when what you said is real. We've done a lot of reporting about these different warnings that we're hearing from Homeland Security that this crisis at the border could get even worse. And the numbers are the numbers. You are seeing more people trying to come across the border illegally than ever before. And I think the American people have actually a more complicated uh, and complex and nuanced view on immigration. I think it depends where you live uh, and sort of what job you hold. But I think there is a huge portion of the country that just believes that you have to enforce uh, immigration laws at the borders, that people can't just come over here uh, illegally, even if they're coming over because they're trying to flee awful circumstances uh, in their home country. And and I think that, that you, you stack immigration with crime, and those two, as you know, in politics are a pretty toxic stew. People don't like feeling unsafe. They look at the murder rates in big cities. They look at what happens in Chicago every weekend. They look at uh, these, these shootings. They look at the spike uh, in crime, and that worries uh, people. And then people can eat, politicians can easily conflate that with illegal immigration and say that Democrats aren't worried about you and your safety, whether it's your, your, uh, your income safety in terms of inflation or your safety right. because of crime. Yeah, and they, they even conflate Ukraine with the southern border. Two completely different things, but that doesn't change the fact that this administration really is ignoring a massive crisis that members of their own administration say is a massive crisis. Also, you said it concerns millions of Americans who want uh, our laws enforced at the border. You know, who else, Mika, that, that, that feels that way? Hispanics. On the Texas border. Yeah. Co-founder and CEO of Axios, Jim Vandehyde. Uh, thank you very much. And the Washington Post, Jackie Alimany, thank you for your reporting. Just before you go, looking ahead to tonight, um, is the committee uh, concerned about capturing sort of the emotional attention of Americans on 1-6, given everything that's going on, including inflation? It's a valid question. It's one that the committee wouldn't acknowledge publicly yesterday when reporters were on a background call. But it is something that lawmakers on the panel uh, and select committee aides have uh, talked about privately, really, for the past 11 months leading up to this investigation. How are they going to break through to a, a segment of the American electorate that has already made up their mind or has been fed disinformation about what happened on January 6th? That's why you're seeing committee members do sort of alternative alternative media in the lead up to tonight. Uh, you have people doing softer TV shows, uh, morning shows, night shows, uh, also a lot of local news programming, Spanish language television. They're trying to explore uh, different ways of connecting with Americans. But whether that ultimately breaks through uh, is, is still a big question mark for the committee. And that's why we're going to be watching ratings tonight for sure. Jackie Alamany with The Washington Post. Jackie, thanks so much, as always. We turn now to a disturbing story surrounding a justice of the Supreme Court. A California man is accused of traveling across the country to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Police say they were alerted by a 911 call that came from the suspect himself. NBC News Justice correspondent Pete Williams has details. 
The FBI says that about 1 a.m., this man dressed in black got out of a taxi in front of the home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. They say after spotting two federal marshals, he walked a block away, called 911, and said he was suicidal and came to kill the justice. Court documents identify him as Nicholas John Roski, age 26, of Simi Valley, California. They say he was carrying a handgun, ammunition, a knife, pepper spray, and burglary tools. Investigators say he told them he was upset the Supreme Court might overturn Roe v. Wade and loosen gun laws, and that he planned to kill the justice and then himself. Security for the justices has been beefed up after last month's protest at some of their homes after the leak of a draft abortion ruling. Roski is charged with attempted murder of a federal official. No comment from his lawyer. Pete Williams reporting for us there. Attorney General Merrick Garland condemned the incident, saying this kind of behavior will not be tolerated. He added, quote, we will do everything to prevent them and hold people accountable. Nika. There you go. Still ahead on Morning Joe, a girl who survived that Uvalde shooting shares her heartbreaking story with lawmakers. We'll have that for you and much more emotional, gut-wrenching testimony from yesterday's hearing. Plus an update on the gun legislation negotiations in the Senate. The top Republican involved in those talks is giving mixed messages about the meetings so far. Also ahead this morning, New York City Mayor Eric Adams will be our guest you're watching Morning Joe. We'll be right back. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations. And they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. All right, 41 past the hour, a live look at the White House on this Thursday morning. A major legislative package on new gun measures is headed to the Senate after passing in the House yesterday. By a 223 to 204 vote, lawmakers approved the Protecting 
our kids act. The legislation is a collection of six new gun safety measures, including raising the minimum age to buy semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21 years old and requiring that all firearms be traceable. It is, however, unlikely to pass in the Senate where control is evenly split. Willie? Before that vote, House Republican leaders sent an email to GOP lawmakers calling on them to vote against the bill. Leadership called it the Unconstitutional Gun Restrictions Act. The memo sent by Minority Whip Steve Scalise was uh, full of NRA talking points, as well as a reminder the votes on the bill could impact donations from the NRA's Victory Fund. During a news conference, Scalise, who of course is a victim of gun violence himself, shared more of his thoughts on the legislation in response to the Uvalde shooting. What we saw, unfortunately, in the minutes and hours after, by some people here in Washington, was a movement to promote their political agenda on the heels of that tragedy. And what they were talking about the night of the shooting was trying to get Congress to move a bill that had passed the House, a gun control bill, H.R. 8, that would have had absolutely nothing to do with the shooting. Instead of focusing on some fundamental questions that ought to be asked every time there's a tragedy in this country. Why did it happen? And are there things we can do to prevent it? And I go back to September 11th, because on that tragic day, the country made a clear realization that dots weren't being connected. Terrorist attacks were happening, and the country didn't have the right focus on the fundamental core problems that were creating those attacks. And airplanes were used that day as the weapon to kill thousands of people and to inflict terror on our country. There wasn't a conversation about banning airplanes. There was a conversation about connecting the dots. How can we try to figure out if there are signs we can see to stop the next attack from happening. Where to begin there? Next week, by the way, Joe Marks. Oh, my God. Five years next week, Joe. uh, Scalise was critically injured, almost died in a mass shooting during practice for the congressional baseball game. But so we've heard prairie dogs and we've heard varmints and we've heard feral pigs and we've heard what about Hunter Biden? And now we have, well, why didn't we ban planes after 9-11? I, it's, where, well, I just, this is where unspeakably was stupid. It, it, you know, this really is. And, and for people who really aren't familiar with constitutional law and they don't understand the law uh, behind the Second Amendment and the case law, uh, two centuries of case law, which really was fairly quiet until I believe it was 2008 with Heller. You, you don't understand that when these Republicans are talking and saying, uh, like Jim Jordan said on the House floor, that that it was destroying the Second Amendment. These mm-hmm. bills were destroyed. This is like this. If you understand the law, this is like dialogue out of dumb and dumber. This is Lloyd Christmas, gentleman lawyer. Like these these arguments are insane. And, and Jonathan Lemire, I hear the arguments uh, uh, from uh, from Steve Scalise. He, he uh, thinks they, people they, are stupid. They, they didn't ban airplanes. Well, I'll tell you what they did do. TS, but he knows this. Know. They all know this. TSA, 
regulated the hell out of air travel. So you had to take your shoes off. You had to go through uh, four four greater screenings. I mean, everybody remembers after 9-11. You would get checked going into the airport. You would get checked going through TSA. You would get checked at the gate. Like, you would get patted down. You're still getting patted down. Liquids, uh, Mika and I just traveled. Liquids taken out even, what, how many years? 21 years later of our bags in one airport. And 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 all it's thrown out, on. separated. They checked them. I mean, they go, they have so hyper-regulated air travel to stop another 9-11. And guess what? It's worked. So I guess what Steve Scalise is telling us is he's totally fine with the hyper-regulation of guns. Because if his model really is 9-11, there are a lot of progressives that would say, bring it on. That'd be a little too much for me. I mean, hey, why don't we just do universal background checks at 90% of American support? Why don't we just raise the, the, the age limit from 18 to 21 for weapons of war and more highly regulate those weapons of war? Who can buy them? How they're stored, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, it, it is, it's like Lloyd Christmas goes to Congress. Every argument from these Republicans dumber than the last. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place every day, each morning in your inbox with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Understand today's news. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at msnbc.com. They didn't ban airplanes, but they made it a lot harder to endanger someone on an airplane. And that's the point of this. They're not going to ban guns either. They're going to make it harder to endanger someone with them. And let's remember, it was Richard Reed, actually, was the attempted shoe bomber uh, a few months right. after 9-11. It was one incident of one guy trying to blow up something with his shoes. And since then, every single person who stepped foot on an airplane has had to take off their shoes. One incident. We, of course, had, sadly, hundreds of mass shootings this year alone. Uh, but certainly what we heard from Scalise yesterday is further Republican fog machine, just trying to deflect, trying to distract. They, they're certainly polling suggests that a large percentage of Americans are not with them on this. And now it's a question of what, ha- what can happen in the Senate. And certainly the House passed a series of bills last night, six in total, uh, with some sweeping restrictions. Those, of course, None of them will become law. But there are efforts there in the Senate where they think some things can get done. Talks have stalled a little bit. Uh, There is some optimism, both sides, that eventually this will get done. Likely not this week, probably spill into next. And there is that ticking clock. They fear the longer this drags on, momentum will fade. Before you know it, we'll be at the July 4th recess for Congress. And then it's campaign season. So there is an urgency to get something done. They still believe it will. But aides to the process told me last night, it's still focused largely on small measures, expanding background checks a little, red flags, better than nothing, Mika, but still incremental. And that's the question. What is this that they're going to get done after two slaughters, one in Buffalo, another in Uvalde, and a couple of other mass shootings Tulsa. in between? Yeah, a doctor being assassinated in Tulsa by a guy who Everything walks into a store? Everything that Congress just passed. 
actually applies to what happened. Is the Senate going to throw that all away? Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure they're going to throw a lot of it away. Right. Uh, because Mike Barnacle, we always hear the same thing from Republicans. They always lie. They always say, oh, there's nothing that could have been done to stop this. Or there's nothing that could have been done. that stop, Or the big lie. If you want to know what the big lie in the gun debate is, it's that they're trying to destroy the Second Amendment. Nothing is being done that is trying to destroy the Second Amendment. If you look at the Second Amendment as interpreted by Heller, you basically have Scalia and the rest of the court saying you have a right to keep a handgun in your house and a shotgun. That's basically what it says. Maybe that gets expanded with this New York City case, but we don't know until the New York City case goes down. But but it's just one lie after another lie after another lie. And like lemmings going off the cliff while, while our children are being slaughtered in classrooms, while parishioners are being slaughtered in churches and synagogues, they just, like idiots, repeat the words given to them by the NRA. You know, Joe, this is so deeply depressing. This conversation that we're having here, the conversation that's been going on in Congress and in the country for years now. Deeply, deeply depressing. Steve Scalise raised one important question in his little spiel about banning airplanes. And the question he asked in his little clip there that we just showed is, why did this happen? Speaking of Uvalde, Texas. Well, it happened because and only because one 18-year-old child, 18 years of age, was able to walk in on his birthday to a gun shop and buy two assault weapons, two rifles, two of them, not one, two. And he used one of those weapons to kill 21 people in the schoolroom. And we have a United States Congress where people come and appear before various committees, including yesterday, and they look into the eyes of members of Congress elected to help people, and they tell them, my daughter's dead, but there are other children in this country who need your help. We need your help. And what does Steve Scalise and many Republicans, almost all of the Republicans do? They shrug their shoulders and they say, sorry, but we have to protect your guns first. We have to protect weapons before we protect your children. I can't think of anything more depressing, more defining about the state of our government than what has happened just in the past couple of weeks, just on this one issue, this eternal issue of handguns, rifles, and trying to raise the age from 18 to 21 years of age. Impossible to do. Sorry, folks. We can't help you, your kids, or the public school teachers where they go to school. Coming up ahead of tonight's hearing on January 6th, Attack. Members of the select committee uh, will be with us. We're going to have Congresswoman Elaine Loria of Virginia, and she joins us at the top of the hour. Also ahead in the next hour of Morning Joe, two lawmakers who are both military veterans who say it's time to stop easy access to weapons of war. 
And fresh off giving testimony to Congress on gun violence, New York City Mayor Eric Adams is our guest. We're going to ask the mayor of New York City what he thinks about the recall in San Francisco and whether his own DA in Manhattan should take notice. 